Well, I hope you've enjoyed uh, the little survey through the Gospels that uh, we've been going through. Um, just a recap, let's hopefully turn this uh, 20% of what people retain, bump that up to a little higher. Just a quick review, uh, the Gospels literally mean good message, good message. Last week we covered uh, that uh, Dr. Luke wrote two volumes, right? Two volumes of the, of, uh, the Bible. Remember what those were? Book of Luke and Acts, yes. In fact, let's turn to Acts. Um, let's turn to Acts 1 and... Let's just get into a habit of opening scripture. Um, There was a period in my life uh, growing up in the church, I heard a lot of messages. And when I would speak or talk to people, I would often say, somewhere in the Bible it says. (laughs) Right? Uh, Let's just get in the habit of opening up the word. So the book of Acts, so you can see here, how do we know it's uh, uh, written by Luke? It says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote all that Jesus began to do and to teach. So there it is right there. In my former book, referring to his uh, gospel, and also, again, addressing it to the most excellent Theophilus. And Theophilus, there's really no account of a history of who this person was, but a little word etymology, a little word digging. Theophilus means literally, remember, friend of God, friends of God. In fact, we think, I think the whole book of Luke and Acts is really written to the whole world and to us today. And he wrote this account so that what? We might know with certainty the things of Christ and the gospel of Christ. We took a deeper dive into Luke 9. Um, He taught us the secrets to living in glory by how? Taking up our cross. Taking up our cross daily. And it challenged us with the concepts of, can you actually just simply accept the free gift of God and uh, not have any concern how we should live? What does it mean to really follow God, follow Jesus, where he says, follow me? Well, today we're going to get a little more specific at the end of the message. I'm going to give you up to 38 things that we can put on. The book of Ephesians talks about take off these things and put on your new clothes as children, sons and daughters of God. Take off these things. And put on these things. So we're going to specifically talk about, um, we're going to cover all 22 things that we take off. We're going to cover all 38 things we're going to put on. (laughs) All right? Uh, That's a promise. Um, We'll go through them just really quickly. Now these two theological concepts are called justification and sanctification. All right? I don't really know if you can just accept God's free gift of grace and forgiveness and not follow Jesus. I don't know if you could do that. I don't know if it's like people used to say, well, 
yeah, I'm a Christian. I accepted God. I have fire insurance. Right? And remain in sin. I don't know if you could do that. There's a, that's kind of a, a study uh, for another day or kind of spurned me on to kind of study about this uh, a little further. But someone once said, uh, God does not save us to sit, soak, and sour <laughs> in our pews, or that is to stay in our sin. No, God calls us to holiness. God calls us to this big word called sanctification. God, yes, died on the cross <clears throat> once and for all for our sins. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves, right? That's called justification. Sanctification is a process of becoming more like Christ. Sanctification is a process of, of dying daily to our sinful nature and putting on God's new nature. And like I said, I'll, we talked about it in, in generalities last time. Today, I'll give you 38 specifics, okay? Um, God wants his followers to be set apart. That's actually what the word holy means, holy God. God living in us, where is the temple of God now, right? The, back in the day, there was a holy of holies, right? Only one person, one priest, like once a year, could go in the holy of holies. Where is God's temple? Where is it? We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God's temple is right here. So God wants us to be holy, set apart, different from the world. God wants us to think different, act different, worship different, love different. Jesus in Luke 9 calls us to put to death our sin nature by taking up our cross daily. It's an image of the crosses, crucifixion is the image of death, destruction, the end. And so, whoever wants to be my disciple, Jesus said, I don't think it's optional. We need to allow God to clean house, so to speak, to take off the old self and to put on the new nature. <clears throat> we discussed this process of to repeat, to repent, rather, Repent, <clears throat> repeat, and replace our old nature with God's new nature. And replace it with God's glory, God's glorification in our lives, God's spirit <clears throat> replacing our old self. That is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, all those things. But we discussed that <clears throat> it's a fact of life that every day on this earth, there's a struggle and opportunity to repent from our selfish nature, to put to death those things and follow God's will. That means every day <clears throat> we're on earth, we have the opportunity, the hope <clears throat> of becoming better versions of ourselves and to see actually God's glory manifested in our lives. So personally, after studying Luke 9, I uh, really have a new appreciation of the cross. I always kind of had a hard time reconciling those things. Um, you know, on one hand, you know, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, right? Um, 
You know, why couldn't God just said, okay, I love you, I forgive you, and start moving on. But then there's this, the cross. For God so loved, her, loved the world that he gave. He gave what? He gave his son to the cross that we're going to uh, commemorate today. <clears throat> now I see the cross actually as a welcome discipline to purify myself, to see God's glory manifested in my own life. I hope uh, through the discussions, it's, uh, the cross has taken on a little bit different meaning. Not just what Christ did, that's justification. But sanctification is what we can do daily, right? Daily take up our cross. <clears throat> God wants us to restore to become the person he wants us to be, uniquely you and uniquely me. You know, back in the day, um, we used to share Christianity with little tracts, these little booklets, right? Um, the, the most classic one was called uh, The Four Spiritual Laws, and that shows you, showed you how to become justified in your, re your relationship with God, how to be adopted, how to be... Um, adopted into God's family. There was another track that was equally impactful. It was called My Heart, Christ's Home. Anybody remember that one? My Heart, Christ's Home. So imagine after we invite God into our lives, we certainly invite him into our life on Sunday mornings, right? Maybe midweek Bible study or something like that. But it's the imagery that well, God wants to visit us Monday through Saturday, every day of the week. And this imagery of welcoming God um, Monday night, Friday night into our, into our house. Jesus knocks and we lead him to the clean room, right? <laughs> Just like if we have unexpected guests, right? We don't want them coming back into the kitchen table or the family room or all the pillows and blankets are all strewn out and all your papers are out so we're a little embarrassed and God says no I want to be part of your life I want to transform I want to remake your whole life every room and so it's a little embarrassing to have God come into the kitchen and look at maybe our calendars to look at our bank statements that are strewn out how we spend our time and resources our hobbies, and God forbid, don't go back into the bedroom or, or that closet. We don't want God to go into the closet, closets of our lives. But God wants to show the power and glory of his kingdom. Again, where in our lives? Today's title is, Where's the Kingdom? It's right here. Becoming a Christian is more than just gaining salvation, fire insurance, but according to Luke 9, God wants his glory to shine in us. And the secret to that glory is by way of the cross, to put to death our selfishness in us. And we have to, like Ephesians, take off our old self and put on our new self. And we'll get there <clears throat> in a little bit. Because we have been adopted, we have the safety, the love, and encouragement to be the men of God and women of God that we were meant to be. 
It's kind of like doing a total remodel of our home, this My Heart, Christ's Home analogy. So uh, think of that. <clears throat> think of maybe some of the reality TV shows of uh, uh, house makeovers. Um, it's almost like if we were to remodel our own home or dream big, we're limited by what? Money. <laughs> we're limited by what we could do. Maybe it's the kitchen. Maybe it's the kitchen counter. Maybe it's uh, the floor. One little piece at a time. But as we become Christians, it's almost like God gives us unlimited resources for the makeover. God is said to be able to do exceedingly, abundantly, more than we can even ask or think. The work that Christ did on the cross is like God gives us unlimited financing to remodel our home. The reality is, unfortunately, God just doesn't do it for us. <laughs> he, he doesn't ex- adopt us like, like Annie and Daddy Warbucks. I'm going to adopt you and then you're going to live with me in this mansion. No, he lives us, he leaves us to live our own lives, and he wants to establish his kingdom in you and I and here and there. And he wants to give us a makeover. The Apostle Paul uh, likens it to an athlete straining for the prize, like an Olympian beats their body into submission and strains for that prize. Now, God doesn't force us to do it. It's a choice that we have, this process of sanctification. He could prompt us. He could nudge us. He can even bring trials to our lives. Certainly not all trials are from God, but God has been known to bring trials into our lives. If you are taking notes, you could jot down Noah. Noah and Noah was a prophet, and God called Noah to preach grace to where? To Nineveh. And what happened to Noah? Jonah. I'm sorry. Noah, Jonah, Jonah, Noah. Jonah, right? Jonah and the whale. A little kid story that we learned when we were kids, right? He did not want to preach grace to Nineveh. He railed against them, and he's like, I remember when I was a kid sitting in the pews right where you are today, looking at my little comics, my Christian comic books, and there's uh, Noah sitting under a tree with his scowly face. No, I don't want to go. I'm not going to go. They don't deserve it. And this is where... That famous quote, God, you are slow to anger, abounding in love. We love that verse, right? This is what, that's where that comes from. You are slow to anger and abounding in love. And so to, to shake and wake uh, Jonah up, <laughs> he gets swallowed by a whale. <laughs> he gets put in timeout for a little while. God brings trials to our lives, and there's these images of refiner's fire, God purifying us as gold. It's not a pretty process. It's through heat and fire 
burning away the impurities. So if you had unlimited resources, what in your life, what are you going to become? What's that vision of who you might become? He leaves us to work out our salvation. Or, in a again, this house analogy, to start spending our inheritance. We are adopted into uh, Daddy Warbucks' uh, uh, treasure trove of good gifts that God wants to give us to transform our lives. What would you remodel? The inside, the outside? If you had unlimited financing, what would you do? Would you hire the uh, famous Donovan to, uh, <laughs> as a landscape architect to freshen up the outside? What would you do? Maybe tear down, uh, maybe have an addition. Some of us maybe need a clean slate to start over again. Some need a fumigation. Maybe we have an infestation. Well, have I given you enough visuals of what God wants to do and what God can do than that we have unlimited resources in God? The amazing thing is that because God loved us, he saved us. He saved us for a purpose, to purify us. And his, he, he wants to purify us so he could live and do his will might be manifest in our lives. What do we, like the Apostle Paul, need to throw out like garbage? He uses that analogy. Again, the Apostle Paul uses the analogy of an athlete running, straining, sacrificing, sweating, for a crown that will fade. But we uh, strain on, spur on, to, to uh, gain a crown that will uh, last forever. Wouldn't it be nice that if God, like I said uh, last time, if God would just transfigure us, bring us to glory, bring us into that mansion <laughs> all at once? It would be nice. It would be nice. But uh, this is the process, and this is what it looks like. I'm going to read these uh, uh, 38 points. This is out of Ephesians 4 through 6, if you want to just jot that down. Okay, we're going to go rapid fire here. These are the things that we need to take off, okay? Ephesians 4 through 6. You don't have to turn there, um, but you can just jot down that ref reference. These, this is the old nature that we need to... Daily, take up our cross and put to death these things. Okay, you ready? Take off. We don't want to be unfit, but fit. Immature, taking off the old self. We don't want to be blown away uh, like the waves at every teaching. We don't want to be ignorant, indulging or indulging in every kind of sensual impurity. Greed, deceitful desires, lies, uncontrolled anger. Stop stealing. Stop the unwholesome talk. Bitterness, rage, slander, brawling, malice, sexual immorality, impurity, greed, obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, immorality, 
uncontrolled anger or being drunk with wine leading to debauchery. These are the things that we need to take off. Here's 38 things that God wants us to put on. All right? Instead of being unfit, God wants us to be fit, mature, putting on a new self, humble, gentle, patient, bearing one another's burdens, keeping the unity, peace, speaking the truth, building up the body as each one does its work, having a new attitude, a new self, righteousness, holiness, having gainful work, building each other up, being kind, compassionate, forgiving as Christ forgave us, walking in sacrificial love, just as our Lord did to us. Having living life and thanksgiving, goodness, righteousness, in truth, not holding grudges, finding out what pleases God, making the most of every opportunity, being wise and learning God's will, being filled with the Holy Spirit, singing, making music together, submitting to one another, wives submitting yourselves to the, wives submitting Submitting yourselves to your husbands as if to the Lord. Husbands, loving your wives as Christ loved the church. And loving your wives as if you're loving your own body. Wives, respect your husbands. Children, obey your parents. Children, honor your father and mothers. Don't, parents, don't exasperate your children. Slaves, obey your masters as unto Christ. That's 32. We have seven more. <sighs> Uh, serve wholeheartedly as serving the Lord. Masters, treat your workers in the same way, for our Heavenly Father is master of both of you. Put on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, ready with the gospel of peace, holding the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword as a word of God. Oh, I didn't bring my uh, water up here. I should have. As promised, 22 things we could take off. 38 things we could put on. Practical things. I think I talked to Audrey uh, uh, and others that preaching takes a lot out of me. And sometimes I, 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 I stress of what I'm going to talk about next. Well, God gave me uh, about 50-something topics to talk about <laughs> next. All worthy things, right? All worthy things that we could take off and put on this whole process of sanctification to be better versions of ourselves to see God's glory manifested God's kingdom where is God's kingdom it is resides in us and God wants to build it in us day by day amen so this is oh just uh, kind of closing this up it's a fact of life that we're corporal and temporal we're fleshly people we're god's kingdom isn't out there somewhere okay it's not in a cathedral if any of you have traveled and uh you see these uh huge cathedrals and it kind of gives a sense of awe and wonder which it does but god's kingdom is not in there God's kingdom is in the people. God's kingdom is in you and I. Now that we've been restored, it's almost kind of like uh, when you're cooking and you're uh, throwing in uh, some onions and scallions and garlic. 
Um, I didn't really know why uh, we did that, but over COVID, you know, we watch YouTube on YouTube and, and, and tutorials. What do they say? They're, you're trying to infuse the oil with the essence, right, of, of the garlic and the ginger and whatnot. So it's, uh, again, interesting that we are corporal. Once we become children of God, God's Holy Spirit is infused in us. However, we're still flesh and blood, right? So that is the journey of the Christian life. And not until we um, leave this earth, our corporal and temporal time is over. And it just kind of led me back to uh, one of those points in Ephesians is make the most of every opportunity, right? If COVID has taught us anything, is that life is short. Life is short. It's people that we know, um, even not necessarily in the prime of life, but in midlife, I personally know people in their 40s, 50s, that have succumbed to COVID. If anything, COVID has taught us that life is short. And if we contemplate that, realizing, making the most of every situation. It's a, it's a statement that gives us a little urgency in life to, to strain. Let me think of the imagery of, of Paul of straining and, and beating our body and, and training to reach for that prize of glory in Christ, in our lives, and ultimately it comes to full fruition when our time is done temporarily. So wrapping up, this is how the kingdom of God is established and the reign of God resides in you and I and in the body of Christ, in the people of Christ, all with different gifts, each doing their own part. So where is the kingdom of God? It's in us, and it's in the church. Amen? So this is a timely kind of thought and message as we kind of transition into communion. It's the image of there's a cross on the table, of thinking about the work that Jesus did for us in love, motivated by love, God once and for all paid the penalty and price for our sins. But looking at it a little bit differently, remember that Jesus didn't come to conquer the Romans and to establish a political kingdom out there, something that's maybe going to happen within the United States, you know, that God's kingdom is going to happen within our nation. You know, we think that, right? Even me saying that, uh, uh, I, I even react to what I just said is, well, is God's kingdom going to be established in the United States? Aren't we a Christian nation? But what we just studied, Jesus did not come to suffer and die to conquer the Romans, or a political kingdom. But he came to conquer sin and death and establish his kingdom in the individual in you and I.